Hello, welcome, or welcome back to our Matthew Bible study. We are continuing with our look at the Sermon on the Mount. We just spent two sessions studying the Beatitudes, which opens the Sermon on the Mount. Now we continue on. Today we are looking at Matthew 5, verses 13 to 20. First of all, Matthew 5, verses 13 to 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is then good for nothing, only to be cast out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city located on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do you light a lamp and place it under a measuring basket, but on a stand, and it so shines to all who are in the house. Likewise, let your light shine before all, so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Verse 13 begins with some very well-known words. You are the salt of the earth. And the note in the Orthodox Study Bible on this verse reads, Because of its preservative powers, its necessity for life, and its ability to give flavor, salt had religious and sacrificial significance. To eat salt with someone meant to be bound together in loyalty. As the salt of the earth, Christians are preservers of God's covenant and give true flavor to the world. And Father Lawrence Farley, in his edition on the Gospel of Matthew, in his Orthodox Bible Study Companion series, points out that in Greek, there's an emphatic you here. You yourselves are the salt of the earth. So our Lord is making this point for his disciples, the important role they have in life, in the Gospel, and in the well-being of the entire creation. So in this respect, then, you are the salt of the earth is not just an accolade, but it's also admonition. It is a warning about proper behavior. Jesus then follows this up in verse 14 by calling his disciples the light of the world. And the Orthodox Study Bible says, In the Old Testament, light is symbolic of God, the divine law, and Israel in contrast to all other nations. In the New Testament, the Son of God is called light. Light is necessary both for clear vision and for life itself. Faith relies on this divine light, and believers become sons of light, who shine in a perverse world. In many parishes, the Pascha, Easter liturgy, begins with a candle being presented and the invitation to come receive the light, which is never overtaken by night. So Christ is the light of the world, and in Christ all of his disciples are also the light of the world. Just like the light of the moon is really the sun's light reflecting off of it, the light that we bring to the world is the light of Christ. When we live an authentic Christian life in all humility and sincerity. Then we read that a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. And it says in the original text, a city set on a mountain. This is very important because, as we have seen earlier, mountains are the dwelling place of God. So a city set on a mountain, the city set on a mountain, is the kingdom of God. Christ is saying that the kingdom of God cannot be hidden. It is not to be hidden. And therefore, there is a mandate for his believers to be good ambassadors of that city, good ambassadors of that kingdom. So we are the salt and the light. We are to bring the joy and the truth and the beauty of the kingdom of God into this world. Jesus brings the point home in verse 16 
Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Our authentic Christian life will bring people to Christ faster and more effectively than any sermon ever preached. Every one of us is an ambassador of God's kingdom. Every one of us is engaged in building the kingdom of God here and now through living an authentic Christian life. This verse also touches upon the whole issue of faith and works. If we are saved by faith, what is the purpose of works? Well, our works are the things that glorify God. If we have faith in God, if we love God, then we are going to want to glorify Him, and not just with our voices, with our words, but just how we live our lives, our behaviors, our attitudes, all of these things. Authentic Christian life glorifies God. Again, we are ambassadors. We are the ones that demonstrate the power and the glory and the efficacy of the gospel in a person's life. When we live an authentic life, we draw closer to God, and he's also glorified in our life for those around us. The next passage we're going to look at today is verses 17 to 20. And here Jesus talks about the relationship between the law and the gospel. So he says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Amen, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not even one smallest letter or one tiny pen stroke shall in any way pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Whoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and teach others to do so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever shall do and teach them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Indeed, I tell you that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter into the kingdom of heaven. Verse 17, I did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. Those who were opposed to Jesus, his critics were saying that he was breaking the law of Moses. He says, that's not what I'm here to do. I am here to fulfill it. Father Lawrence Farley writes, The Pharisees denounced Jesus as a Sabbath breaker, as one who was lax in the demands of piety. Thus Matthew was concerned to show his Jewish audience how Christ's interpretation of the law, though different from that of the Pharisees, nonetheless fulfills the inner and true demands of the law. Matthew is written specifically, or initially, for Jewish Christians, through them uh, to everybody else, of course, and the particular emphasis here is to show how Christ is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Now, notice, he says, I come to fulfill them. I come to bring the law and the prophets to perfection. He comes to bring the law and the prophets into full effect. And a bit later on in the Sermon on the Mount, we will see examples of how he does this, how he says the law says one thing, but I tell you to look at it another way. The law says something specific, I give you a broader interpretation. And he gets to do this because he is the lawgiver. The Orthodox Church teaches that it is Christ who is the one who was with Moses on Mount Sinai. Christ is the one who gives him the law. As the lawgiver, he is the only one who can give us the fullest interpretation, the fullest understanding of the law in the lives of his people. Verses 19 to 20, we have an expectation of righteousness again. This connects to what he said before about his faithful being the, the light of the world and the salt of the earth. Father Lawrence writes, God's will is reflected in all his commandments. Who is man to say which part of God's will can be disobeyed? 
So righteousness must be looked at as a unified whole. We are not concerned with the bare minimum that we have to do as Christians. What's the least I have to do so I can still call myself a believer in Jesus? That's not the point. What we should be doing is looking for the, the fullest expression of the faith in our fullest investment, our fullest offering of ourselves into the Christian life. Father Lawrence makes an important observation here. He says the question of whether Gentile Christians, to whom the law was never given, should keep the Jewish law in its cultural expression is never asked here. The context is Jewish throughout. When Christ teaches that every part of the law will remain in force, he is speaking to Jews of the inner intention of the law. The point is that the inner attitudes inculcated by those laws forever remain what God requires. So this isn't a question of whether or not Gentile Christians should be keeping kosher. He reminds us that Matthew was written to Jewish Christians and that the righteousness that God has always called his people to, that remains in place in Christ. It is still an integral part of the gospel for Jewish Christians and for all Christians indeed. So Jesus is not nullifying the law of Moses. He is revealing its broader implications. And again, he gets to do this because he is the one who formed these laws for Moses and the Israelites in the first place. So for today, that's a good introduction into our understanding of the relationship between Christ's gospel and the law of the Old Testament. Next, we'll continue on to see how Jesus gives specific examples of how he interprets the law from a wider perspective. Thanks for listening to this episode of my podcast. You can find my podcast on Anchor FM, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Kofi.com account. And you can find links to all of that on my website, fatherajarmus.com. That's F-R-A-J-A-R-M-U-S.com. And if you'd like to learn more about Eastern Orthodox Christianity, but aren't near an Orthodox church, you might be interested in the Fellowship of St. Theophon the Recluse, an online community that I've started for seekers and inquirers all in that same situation. We have members in the U.S., Latin America, the British Isles, Africa, and Australia. For more information, message me or send me an email. Again, thanks for listening today. Until next time, take care and God bless.